Section 17 of Hildebrand and His Times by William Richard Ward Stevens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12. Meeting between Henry and the Pope at Canossa. Results of the meeting. Diet of Forsheim. Election of Rudolf of Schwabia as anti-king, January through March, 1077. The great aim of Henry was to obtain release from excommunication before the day appointed for the Diet at Augsburg. When he was no longer under the ban of the Church, the nobles would be deprived of their best excuse for refusing to have intercourse with him and of their strongest plea for electing a new king. The tidings that the Pope declined to receive him in Rome and was about to set out for Germany determined him to make a bold move he would meet the pope on the way a few days before christmas he secretly quitted speyer accompanied by his wife with their infant son conrad and one faithful attendant they made their way to besancon in upper burgundy where they were kindly received by count william uncle of henry's mother and here they spent christmas day thence they travelled southwards until they entered the dominions of the king's mother-in-law the marchioness adelaide of Susa, who came to meet them with her son amadeus she agreed to help him on his way to italy through her territory but demanded as the price of her aid the cession of five rich bishoprics necessity extorted a reluctant consent from the king and then he and his party pushed on to the foot of Montsenis. It was a cruel winter, one of the coldest and longest ever known, for the Rhine was frozen from St. Martin's Day, November 11th, to the following April. The paths over Montsenis were clogged by heavy masses of snow and ice. The ascent was toilsome, but the descent was perilous. The queen and her child were lowered down the icy slopes in rough sledges of oxhide, men and horses slid and scrambled down as best they might no human lives were lost but some horses were killed and others disabled at length the weary travellers reached Susa, where they passed on through vercelli to pavia lombardy was infested by robbers and distracted by private feuds and the coming of henry was heartily welcomed by all who hoped that he would redress disorders as well as by the anti-papal party henry however tarried nowhere for rest business or pleasure but pressed on toward the goal of his journey the grim castle in the apennines his wife and child with the bishops and nobles who had gathered round him in his progress through lombardy remained at reggio about fifteen miles northeast from the castle only his mother-in-law her son and the marquis azzo of este accompanied him to canossa itself they had to cross a tract of level fertile country to the foot of the apennines and then to climb a long steep ascent fifteen hundred feet or more above the plain on the neck of one of the mountain spurs which are here composed for the most part of black sterile volcanic soil there rises abruptly a craggy mass of grey rock looking in the distance like a rugged tower the summit is crowned by some gaunt fragments of the castle of canossa it is accessible on one side only and this was guarded by three walls of which some vestiges remain as also of the bridge by which two of them were connected 
from the top the vast prospect northwards over the rich and sunny plain of lombardy with its flitting lights and shades bounded in the far distance by the snowy wall of the alps is a strong contrast to the black scene of desolation immediately surrounding the fortress and the solemn background southwards of bare mountain peaks the winter winds rush furiously down the ravines and over the ridges which divide them at the present day the ruined castle stands forlorn the only habitations near it are a few small cottages at the base of the rock but at the time of which we are writing there were buildings in which a large company could be lodged for henry's arrival had been preceded by many of the bishops and laymen whom gregory had excommunicated they presented themselves in the garb of suppliants craving absolution gregory said that mercy should be shown to those who truly confessed and bewailed their sins but that the defilements of a long course of sin and disobedience must be purged by the fires of penance the dejected suppliants said they would submit to any penance he might impose the prelates were confined for several days in separate chambers with a scanty allowance of food the laity were dealt with in like manner according to their age and strength the time allowed for their penance being ended all were brought before the pope and absolved after solemn warnings to abstain from intercourse with henry until he should have made reparation for his offences it was january twenty first ten seventy seven when henry arrived at canossa the cold was severe and the snow lay deep he was lodged at the foot of the castle steep and had an interview with the countess matilda hugh abbot of cluny and others in the chapel of st nicholas of which no traces now remain three days were spent in debating terms of reconciliation matilda and hugh interceded with the pope on the king's behalf but gregory was inexorable unless henry surrendered the crown into the pope's hands the ban should not be taken off henry could not stoop so low as this but he made up his mind to play the part of a penitent suppliant early on the morning of january twenty fifth he mounted the winding rocky path until he reached the uppermost of the three walls the one which enclosed the castle yard and here before the gateway which still exists and perpetuates in its name porta di penitenza the memory of this strange event the king barefoot and clad in a coarse woollen shirt stood knocking for admittance but he knocked in vain from morning till evening the heir of the roman empire stood shivering outside the fast-closed door two more days he climbed the rugged path and stood weeping and imploring to be admitted but still the heart of gregory remained cold and hard as the snow and rocks on which his barefoot suppliant was standing at last when he was satisfied that the cup of humiliation had been drained to the dregs or convinced that further degradation of the king would be impolitic touched also it may be by some feelings of compassion and by the entreaties of matilda and the abbot of cluny he consented that terms of reconciliation should be drawn up by chosen representatives the pope's representatives were two cardinal bishops two cardinal priests two cardinal deacons and one subdeacon on the king's side were the archbishop of bremen the bishops of osnabruck and vercelli the abbot of cluny and several laymen of distinction by the compact which they drew up the king was to promise that he would attend a meeting of the german nobles whenever it should be called by the pope 
and be prepared to retain or forfeit his crown according as the pope who would preside as arbiter should pronounce him innocent or guilty of the crimes laid to his charge meanwhile he was to lay aside all insignia of royalty and abstain from all royal functions and his subjects were absolved from their oaths of fealty he was to provide a safe conduct for gregory or his legate across the alps and if he proved his innocence he was henceforth to obey the pope in everything which concerned the church if he failed to observe any one of these conditions his absolution would be cancelled and the nobles were immediately to elect another king henry accepted these hard conditions and some of the bishops and nobles were required by gregory to swear upon sacred relics that he would fulfil them then at last the gate of the inner castle was opened and henry was admitted into the presence of the stern pontiff whose anathema had for nearly a year blighted his life with a burst of tears he flung himself at the feet of the pope crying spare me holy father spare me the spectators wept and even the eyes of the austere gregory were moistened he raised the king from the ground gave him his blessing and conducted him to the chapel where mass was celebrated a strange tale which must be accepted if at all with caution is related by some of the chroniclers that the pope having broken one of the consecrated wafers in half called upon god to strike him dead as soon as it had passed his lips if he were guilty of the crimes of which his enemies and henry had accused him having eaten it he remained unharmed and congratulations burst from the lips of the admiring congregation then he offered the other half of the wafer to henry and invited him to submit to the same test if his innocence were thus established his subjects would be reconciled to him and the tempest of civil war would be banished for ever but henry shrank from the awful test alleging that his accusers being absent would not believe or be satisfied with such a test and praying that the whole question might be reserved for a general council by the decision of which he would faithfully abide the pope acquiesced and having finished the service courteously entertained the king at dinner and after some farewell warnings and advice bade him depart in peace and now what had the king and the pope lost or gained by this memorable meeting in the mountain fortress henry had stooped to humiliation at canosa because he saw no other chance of breaking the alliance between his rebellious subjects in germany and the pope he had probably hoped to receive together with absolution some promise of aid against his adversaries and of the imperial crown no such promises however had been made and on the contrary he himself had been forced to promise that he would abide by the arbitration of the pope in the questions at issue he had obtained bare absolution but nothing more his tenure of the german crown depended on the will of the pope and of the imperial coronation no mention had been made and he soon discovered that his reconciliation with gregory had cost him the goodwill of a large and powerful party in lombardy all who hoped that he had come to humble the pride of the pope as well as to redress wrongs and disorders loaded him with the bitterest reproaches for his pusillanimous self-abasement before a tyrannical pontiff they threatened to enforce his abdication to elect his son conrad to march with him to rome and there choose another pope who should crown the boy emperor and annul all the acts of the detested gregory 
it was in vain that henry insisted that the safety of his crown had depended upon his getting absolution from the pope before a given day some of the nobles withdrew in sullen discontent to their homes and in his return progress through lombardy most of the towns withheld the customary honours and hospitalities paid to royal guests the triumph of gregory at canossa had also revived the spirits of the paterine party two legates gerald of ostia and anselm of lucca were dispatched to milan and met with a cordial reception many of the opposition faction expressed contrition and the whole city seemed to be converted to the papal side the legates met with some success also in other towns but when they approached piacenza dionysius the bishop attacked them with an armed force and made them both prisoners anselm a lombard himself was soon released but gerald was detained soon afterwards henry arrived at piacenza he was very anxious to receive the crown of italy either at milan or pavia and had sent a request to gregory that he would appoint some bishop to perform the coronation gregory declined unless his legate was released from imprisonment the king's mother who had joined him at piacenza urged him to effect the release but henry would not interfere he knew that if he did he should utterly forfeit the support of most of the lombard bishops and he did not dare or was not inclined to make such a sacrifice from this date the old distrust between the king and the pope revived all who were hostile to gregory gradually rallied around henry at pavia besides the bishops of lombardy most of the german counsellors proscribed by the pope resumed their place and influence limar archbishop of bremen eppo bishop of zeitz benno of osnabrück burchard of lausanne and burchard of basel and several laymen of whom the most obnoxious was ulrich of kosheim on the other hand the pope became the centre round which gathered all elements of opposition to the king nevertheless the victory of gregory at canossa was not so complete as it appeared to be because in fact he had pushed it too far unmindful of the precept always make a silver bridge for a retreating enemy he had trampled too mercilessly on a fallen foe there was still so much reverence for the emperor or heir of the empire as the highest temporal power ordained by god on earth that his abject degradation was a shock to christendom some doubted if even the pope could release subjects from their allegiance some pitied henry others dreaded what he might do if driven to desperation the enemies of the pope in germany and rome were still numerous and they waited their opportunity the relation indeed of gregory to the german nobles had been changed by the event at canossa he had repeatedly declared that he would not judge the case except in concert with them the resolutions at oppenheim had in fact mainly depended for their justification on the king's excommunicate condition and now this had been removed by the independent action of the pope a letter which gregory wrote to the nobles from canossa just after henry's visit betrays anxiety to vindicate himself and retain their confidence he lays great stress upon his own promptness in setting out for germany and upon their tardiness in sending an escort for his passage across the alps which had enabled henry to enter italy before he himself could leave it he enlarges upon the seemingly humble and penitent state of the king upon the strong appeals which had been made to his own mercy 
and upon the contract by which Henry was bound as the condition of his absolution. Finally, until Gregory himself arrived to take counsel with the nobles, all the questions at issue must be held in suspense. The letter was received in Ulm, where a small party of the nobles had met, February 1077, for consultation as soon as the news of the events at Canossa had reached them. They decided that a diet should be held on March 13th at Forsheim. The Pope should be invited to attend it, or to send his written judgment through a legate. Henry himself was not invited, and Rudolf of Schwabia artfully represented to him, through a special messenger, that it would not be prudent for him to appear in Germany until his mother or the Pope should have smoothed the way for his reception. The same messenger was sent on to Gregory to urge him to attend the council, but not without obtaining a safe conduct from the king. Henry did not wish to leave Italy, and he was not inclined to help the Pope to intrigue with his enemies in his absence. He therefore excused himself from providing the escort, alleging that he was too busy in Italy, and that it would be impossible to get it ready in time. Gregory therefore sent two legates to Germany, Bernhard, a cardinal deacon, and Bernhard, abbot of St. Victor in Marseille, who were to inform the nobles that he would come if possible, if not, he would pray that they might be guided to a wise decision. The legates themselves were instructed to delay the proceedings if they could until he arrived, otherwise they were to yield to the judgment of the nobles. Henry did nothing to obstruct the plans of his opponents, and the Diet met at Forsheim. It was a large but not a representative assembly. Of thirteen bishops, Bavaria sent only two, Lotharingia one, Schwabia not one. The papal legates first conferred privately with the nobles when they heard all the old accusations against Henry and expressed their amazement that such a king should have been tolerated so long. The nobles then urged the election of a new king. The legates mildly suggested waiting until the pope should arrive, but confessed they must leave it to the nobles to decide what would be best for the weal of the kingdom. Another private conference was held in the lodging of the Archbishop of Mainz. The feeling in favor of electing a new king was general, and with some dissentients it was agreed that Duke Rudolf of Schwabia, from his connection with the royal house and his sympathy with the papal party, was the most eligible man. The legates, however, insisted that two conditions should be enacted from him, the renunciation of all hereditary claim to the empire for his family after his death, and the permission of free canonical elections to bishoprics. Rudolf assented to these conditions, and on March 15th he was formally elected by the nobles, whose choice was approved by the acclamations of the people. His first anxiety was to receive the approbation of the Pope. He sent an envoy to inform Gregory of his election, offering him a safe conduct if he would come to Germany to regulate the affairs of the Church, and promising to render him faithful obedience. The Pope, however, was too cautious to commit himself so hastily and announced that he should reserve his decision until he had investigated the merits of the rival kings. Meanwhile, on March 26th, Rudolf was crowned at Mainz by the archbishop. Sinister omens occurred. The consecrating oil ran short. The gospel was read by a simoniacal deacon. A fierce brawl broke out between the citizens and the royal servants. The brawl grew into a tumult which was hardly suppressed by Rudolf's knights. He himself, 
had to escape by night like a fugitive accompanied by archbishop siegfried who never returned nowhere did rudolf meet with the reception which he had expected in schwabia and burgundy where he had hoped to find his chief support he and the papal legates were repulsed from augsburg and constance by the bishops and townspeople he spent with sunday june fourth at the abbey of hirschau and then quitted schwabia for saxony where he found a people ready to welcome him an army and a court end of section seventeen